This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for joining us. My name is Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. And I'm Maura Dooley. The family's all together in studio today. This is exciting. (laughs) And it's a busy time of fall, you know. We've got holidays are really right around the corner. They always kind of seem to sneak up on you. But uh, planning for the holidays, it's never too early to do that. It's never too early to plan for the holidays. (laughs) So uh, we're, you know... End of September is creeping up on us. Uh, that means all the pumpkin patch type stuff is getting ready and the wind down in the farmer's markets and Deutsches Fest over yes. in Odessa, right? All right. Hand out the rubber chickens and drink all the beer. <laughs> and uh, in Leavenworth, of course, they have the whole Oktoberfest thing and, and uh, we're gearing up for that. But we at Heritage Distilling have to get prepared for Christmas, which means Advent calendars. So our team has just finished bottling about 500,000 minis wow. and started packing <laughs> Advent calendars. We've had, we sent our first pallets of uh, Advent calendars to New Hampshire this week for their liquor stores statewide. And uh, same thing's happening for New York and New Jersey. Those are all going out because they've got to get into the system and get ready to go. And, uh, of course, people are already pre-ordering here online. They go to heritagedistilling.com and they're pre-ordering the advent calendars and they will be ready to go in a couple of weeks. Oh, that's perfect. That's amazing. And I've heard that even somebody, I saw this from Distiller Dane online, that somebody has made a small sacrifice, not a small sacrifice, a big <laughs> sacrifice along the way. Yeah. So uh, one of the employees on the bottling line lost his wedding ring uh, in the huge totes full of all these mini bottles. So we're all oh, on the hunt no. for it. And the joke is, uh, for now, he's married to the job. So <laughs> we won't tell his wife. Yeah, right. It's a good job to be married to, at least. Also coming up is the James Beard Foundation event that we're going to talk to Dick Stevens, who helps put this event on. And it's incredible. We all attended last year. Yep. You're a huge part of it. Yep. That's right around the corner as well. It is coming up in October. There'll be tickets available and still to buy tickets or tables. And the money all goes to the James Beard Foundation, which, of course, supports people who are trying to elevate their careers in food, food prep, food service, and uh, celebrating the best chefs in the region. And second year in a row, this dinner is coming back to Seattle, which tells you how much of a food town Seattle continues to maintain that status. And uh, we're honored to be part of it. And Dick will talk about it a little later in the show. Can't wait. Can't wait for that. All of the things we love, good drinks and good food. In the meantime, what's going on in the headlines this week? Well, uh, over in eastern Washington in Walla Walla, an international wine bar has opened up. Uh, Walla Walla is a town of about 30,000 people. Of course, it's home to a major university, home to lots of uh, wineries, uh, wine tasting rooms. We've interviewed quite a few people, including Drew Bledsoe, yeah. right? He's got mm-hmm. his winery down there. And uh, he talked about that uh, early in the in the year with us. Uh, this new place is called The Thief. It's a 4,000-square-foot wine shop located right in downtown Walla Walla. Uh, Emily Riley is a restaurant executive who came from Portland, managed local restaurants like uh, White House, Crawford, and Pasatempo. And they have this new shop with 500-plus different labels of wines from producers all over the world, France, Italy, Spain, Portugal, Germany, and the list goes on and on and on, of course, from the U.S., uh, the selection, she says, is constantly changing. They offer eight wines by the glass on a daily basis. Uh, in addition, they have beer, cider, sake, vermouth, bitters, uh, and other specialty items. 
and it sounds like a great place. This is the time of year, really, to go experience crush in wine country. And uh, when you're done experiencing crush and watching everything that happens at the wineries, if you go to Walla Walla, go check out The Thief in downtown Walla Walla. Yeah, it sounds pretty incredible because obviously there's some amazing wines that come out of that area and that region, but maybe it's even nice for locals who might want to get a taste of something international, something different, and uh, this offers that variety. And plan to stay overnight because you're going to experience lots of great alcoholic uh, adult (laughs) Mm, beverages. Yes. And uh, one of the places to stay there is the historic Whitman Hotel, downtown, beautiful hotel. And Walla Walla is just an amazing, amazing town. That leads us to the next article, which I thought, Lydia, you would be most excited about. You know me so well. You told me you were going to book your ticket for this. Uh, (laughs) Disneyland is opening a new Star Wars-themed cantina bar. Love it. This is uh, Disneyland's next iteration in moving into allowing uh, adults to enjoy an adult beverage every now and then. They've started to break the barriers down a little bit. Uh, When Disney first founded Disneyland, he he said, no alcohol ever. Mm. It's a kid's thing here. No, No alcohol. That's changing. So they have this cantina-styled bar, Galaxy's Edge. It's expected to open summer of 19, uh, and it's themed on the Oga's Cantina in the most recent uh, movies and run by the alien proprietor called Ogagara. It follows a strict code of conduct to manage unruly guests. Yeah. Lydia, that, that will be you. Don't want to mess with Don't want to mess, no. you to get thrown out at least once or twice out of there. <laughs> And uh, guests will be able to sample concoctions created with exotic ingredients and served in unique vessels. I'm sure uh, the the creators of uh, everything at Disney are amazing at the experience. According to uh, blog reports, music will be provided by RX-24, which is a quirky (laughs) and talkative droid that has been introduced as a motion simulator attraction at several of Disney's theme parks. So if you happen to be making trips for Disneyland in 19, take pictures and share the cantina story with us. That's pretty fabulous. And I think that parents deserve deserve a place for the for them as well. I mean, maybe not, they obviously can't go with their kids, but adults in general who might want to take in the Disneyland experience that I love that they're incorporating sort of adult things into yeah. that. And based on the clientele of that bar, uh, if you're a single woman looking for a date, what we'd say is the odds are good, but the goods are odd. <laughs> so uh, beware if you go in solo. <laughs> Also a bad pun. I was, was going to say. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. And uh, finally, in the ever-increasing craziness of uh, people willing to throw money around, a Napoleonic-era cognac bottle sells for 200,000 pounds or 260,000 U.S. dollars. Whoa. This is crazy, is yeah. it not? I mean, we've, we've, <laughs> Can't we've, fathom this. We've talked about the various different very rare whiskeys and scotches and stuff that are selling, and this one's $260,000. The bottle in question is a three-quarter gallon Imperial Cognac Massounies, I guess. I won't speak French. From 1805, it makes it one of the highest value single cognacs ever sold. Of course, uh, cognac is a type of brandy. comes from the cognac region of France. And uh, it was required, this bottle was acquired by Hermitage Cognacs about 20 years ago. And the uh, proprietor was a direct descendant of King Louis VII, whose family owns the former cognac producing estate that this bottle came from. So it is rare, and it sounds like they can trace the lineage back to make it authentic. The uh, gentleman here says, in over 30 years of buying and selling cognac, this 1805 was one of the oldest and rarest I have ever come across. So... Uh, if you have $260,000, this bottle of cognac around. can be yours. The question I have for you before we wrap this segment up is, if you had a bottle this expensive, would you open it and drink it? 
that was what exactly what's on my mind. Do you just display it for all time to sort I, of? I bet they're just displaying it, but that's that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to drink it because then it would be gone and you just wasted that yeah. money. Never to, never, never to be back again. I mean, who do you decide to share it with, too? That's just, that's so yeah. much pressure. That, that, that's it. how you know who your real friends are. Exactly. <laughs> well, we talked earlier in the show a little bit about fall traditions and how it really is that time of year. Football, definitely a huge part of that. Up next on Cast Club Radio, we've got the best football stadiums in America for tailgating. That's what would be football without tailgating as well. That's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for being here with us on this fine Saturday. It's football season, which makes everybody in this room pretty excited. I think we're all football fans yes. here. Yes, all Seahawks fans here. Maybe a rough go to the start of the season for them, but don't worry. We have faith they're going to turn it around here. Did it, something happen I'm not aware of? Yeah. Oh, you don't have faith. That's <laughs> okay. In the meantime, we can still enjoy the tailgating aspect of, of football. That's for sure. And... Today, we found a list of the best football stadiums for tailgating. Does CenturyLink make it on this list? Any thoughts, you guys? No, it's not on the list. It's not on the list. Not That's the a list. spoiler alert from yeah. Justin. Even with the Beast Bus? I know. We <laughs> talked to them on the show uh, recently, and, and it's pretty incredible. The party that they put on, uh, all for charity, by the way. So if you are down at the Seahawks game this weekend, you should check them out. But well, here's the... why it's not on the list, though. Oh, okay. They don't allow tailgating in the stadium parking lot. That's it. Okay? There we go. Very the, true. This list is comprised of this exclusively the places where you can legally tailgate, which means having beer or whatever. They don't allow that here in Seattle. Okay, so perfect. So all these tailgates that we go to or that we talk about are somewhere else off Good stadium clarification. I hadn't really thought about that specifically for some reason, but I moved here from Denver, and yeah, it's, it's all in the parking lot there. Yeah. And it's just so much closer and easier. That yeah. does make sense. And yeah. if you're a fan of college football, it's hard to imagine there just not being that you can, where you can't uh, tailgate in the yeah. parking lot. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so which stadiums do make this list? Well, number five on the list is Raymond James Stadium for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers down in Tampa. At uh, Raymond James, the tailgate uh, you get in, 30 bucks, unlimited food two drink tickets, and the opportunity to get an autograph from a Tampa Bay Buccaneer player. That's a great deal. Yeah, yeah. seriously. Their claim to fame is uh, seafood, and the appetizing way to fill up before the games is by consuming seafood prepared at the tailgates. They don't place a, a higher on the list primarily because uh, the lots don't open until 90 minutes before the game. So it's kind of hard to... It's a speed tailgating. Yeah, speed tailgating. Yeah, speed yeah. tailgating. Yeah, so that really, if it's run by the the team or the concessionaires, it's like getting you in, selling you the ticket, and then getting you to your seats. That's why, Maura, this is uh, such a good deal because you only have 90 minutes to consume oh, all these true. things. So There's only so much you can yeah. drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's only so many shrimp you want to really have mm-hmm. on an empty stomach with beer. Number four, Arrowhead Stadium. Now, this is a true tailgate experience at Arrowhead. I've been there, watched this. Uh, we went to the game where the Seahawks, uh, this was in 2014, in December. Mm-hmm. It was nine degrees for the game. And the yeah, parking nice. lot was packed at 7 a.m. with people <laughs> barbecuing in their fluffy coats. Full parkas. Yeah. And the people could not have been nicer walking up and down. Even though we were wearing local Seahawks stuff, they were, you know, jabbing you a little bit, but at the same time, offering you drinks, offering you fried chicken, ribs, 
famous for That's barbecue. What I would want to go for the barbecue there. Yeah, Ooh. Kansas City, man, you can't. <laughs> it can't be beat. Yeah, it opens five hours before the game. Uh, happens. Uh, it's a pregame party on the stadium grounds. Most important components of the tailgate are two items. Uh, start with B. One would be beer. The other would be bacon. Uh, we would add a third B, which would be bourbon. And it doesn't matter whose tent you visit, the food is always served with bacon. That's true. And uh, interesting note I saw this year, they're changing the rules a little bit because so many people, when the game kickoff happened, would stay for tailgating. Now they're not letting you do that. When oh. the game starts, they're kicking you out unless you're going into the game. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Number three, Gillette Stadium. <laughs> Maura, this will make you happy. Maura's old stomping grounds, right? <laughs> uh, New England Patriots in uh, Foxborough, Massachusetts. Only the most diehard fans are willing to brave the blizzards for their beloved team. I would say enjoy it for the next couple of years because once Tom Brady's gone, what will they be able to do, right? <laughs> what better way is there to warm up than with a cup of New England clam chowder that's nice and hot? Don't boil the milk. Spread the clams, scallops, and other seafood and present your patriot passion. Uh, so number three. Number two, Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia. The link, man. The link. The uh, link. Number two. So uh, tailgates full of full-on partying and tailgating uh, in the stadium parking lots. I would say uh, if you are a Minnesota Vikings fan, you're probably not welcome based on what we saw mm. last year. I think really any opposing the fan. Yeah, they're it's they're the tough. only team that's had a courthouse inside their stadium. <clears throat> yes. You just go ahead and take care of hooligans there. So yes. <laughs> Philly fans uh, in all respect, even Philadelphia Phillies fans are pretty intense. So oh, yeah, yeah. this doesn't, this that that would not shock me. But the cheesesteaks. The cheesesteaks. It's ridiculous. worth it, yeah, you know? <laughs> and according to this list, number one, Soldier Field, Chicago Bears, uh, been there for these tailgates too. Who cares about the wind? The hearty tailgate in Chicago is known for facing cold and grilling some of the best steaks around. That is true. They are a steak town, Mm -hmm. and uh, you can uh, get in with kids or without kids. No restrictions apply. Uh, You can get in and drink whatever you want, consume whatever you want, and uh, they are famous for grilling Krispy Kreme donuts on the barbecue at these tailgate events. So uh, get your Krispy Kreme on and go to Chicago and uh, hopefully – get treated better than we did last <laughs> week on Monday night. Football. A common theme I think I see on a lot of these a lot of these too is these cold weather teams. It seems to inspire a certain loyalty uh, in the tailgating element where it's like, "Hey, we're just going to do we don't care if it's 5 degrees outside, we're going to do this thing. We're going to yeah. fire up the grill somehow and make this happen." Well, and you're literally getting warmed up to go into the game yeah. and be prepared to cheer your team on during the game and for some people, that requires getting warmed up internally as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Fired up. Yeah. So that transitions into an announcement that was made by Aramark. Aramark is one of the big brands that runs concessions at lots of places around the country, stadiums, convention centers, and so on. They are bringing a traveling draft beer bike to 10 stadiums for the games. So instead of you standing in line at the regular concession stand, you can find one of these bikes, which has kegs on it and tap handles and cans, and uh, you can get fresh draft beer almost anywhere this bike can be found. Wow. That's a great idea. A beer-sicle, as they're the beer being sickle. dubbed. That's right. Yeah, it does seem. So I'm guessing that during the actual, they're just they're just parked. Yeah, they're being parked. Okay. Yeah, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> There's too many logistical issues to work out with moving. Can you imagine the guy yeah. uh, or gal? pedaling the bike as fast as possible and all these people chasing on a big line down. of people. Uh, <laughs> so, that's another another example of how 
whether it's a concession company or people are just sort of adapting and trying to uh, change to the market. I think so. And uh, they're calling this the Tour de Taps. Uh, it's a <laughs> three-wheeled bike. It's mobile, interactive, gives, gives fans a new option to enjoy draft beer. That's the key, draft beer, not just cans. Uh, so the experience is a little different than the regular vendor walking up and down the aisles selling you cans of beer. You get a real draft beer, right? Total of 10 stadiums are trying this. Baltimore, Chicago, Cincinnati, Cleveland. Cleveland needs many of these bikes to satiate the fans who are waiting for a first win. Houston, Kansas City, Minnesota, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and the aforementioned Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's a great idea. The the lines get really out of hand sometimes. And if you're sometimes you have to wait in the food and beer line when all you want is a beer, and that should alleviate some of that. Another another thing that just came out this week, the Seahawks announcing that they are going to fall in line with what the Falcons have been doing that everyone's been liking and lower some of their concession prices, make them a little more affordable. Leading up to kickoff, they're going to have some more specials. Um, It's $5 domestic beers. They have some select $6 wines, Um, $3 for soda, water, hot dogs, nachos, Mm. fries. And then um, it sounds like those prices will go up after kickoff, but then they have a special after kickoff that's a combo, two hot dogs, a large popcorn, and two bottles of water for $12. That's that's cheaper than going to the movies yeah, and getting food. Right? I mean, two hot dogs, popcorn, and two bottles of water for twelve bucks. The magic number twelve in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I've paid twelve dollars just for a beer at a sporting event. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's a great move on their part. Uh, you know, it's so expensive now for tickets, and then to feed kids if you're trying to bring your family to the game, and so to be able to have that uh, is a great offering. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've seen this trend happening in not only football stadiums, but in but in other sports as well. And I think it's an important part of the experience because we here love love food, love drinks, and we love sports. So it's a good combination when you can make those happen. Up next on Cast Club Radio, we welcome back a familiar face, Dick Stevens, who is responsible for putting on the James Beard Foundation dinner coming up here in October. It's for a great cause. And he was actually the very first guest that we had on Cast Club Radio when we started this whole creative project. So it'll be fun to have him back here on Cast Club Radio. That's next. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Right now we're joined by a very special guest because uh, you were the first guest ever on Cast Club Radio, which is how full circle we've come because we were talking about this very event. Our friend Dick Stevens in the house to talk about this great James Beard event. How have you been? I am still wear that badge of honor, that cask club. <laughs> I went and got a brand new leather jacket to sew the patch on of the logo. And I got to be the first guest a year ago. Congratulations on the success of the show. I mean, amazing. Thank you. Well, congratulations on some success of your own. Now, we've in the past year alone, you've put on some pretty incredible events, but this one specifically, does that have a special place in your heart? No question. I mean, to be be a producer and a local planner for the James Beard Foundation is um, certainly it's a highlight of our career, especially in the culinary industry because it's such a it's such a rarefied air to work with chefs like that and to be a part of the foundation's direction and movement. We really don't take it lightly. It's it is a real uh, honor to be a part of it. So we're really excited to not only be doing the Seattle event again, but that Seattle got picked. There's only yeah. ten cities yeah. that get selected. So it's a celebration for the city to to, to get this. Um, when you look at the cities that are great 
food towns and great culinary histories that just aren't in the mix for this year, like a Minneapolis or a Dallas or a Miami or an Orlando or San Diego, Denver. These are great food towns with great chefs. But it's really neat that Seattle continues to be in this conversation to be a a 10-city selection. So a lot of people, they hear the name James Beard and they know exactly what that means when you talk about rarefied air. But for those who who might be unfamiliar, can you tell us just a little bit about background on James Beard? Of course. Well, the foundation uh, has an amazing root here in the Northwest because James Beard, who uh, is deceased now, was really a pioneer in taking the food understanding and the food culture to the masses. He was a, a driving force in saying, you know, televised cooking shows are people things people would love to see more. So he launched uh, Julia Child's career and played a big part in that and others. Uh, cookbooks, uh, really understanding that food is something that you eat three times a day. Everybody experiences it and has a path to it. He had a vision. He did some really great things on the top of the table, like the Four Seasons concept in the hotel, the Four Seasons. That was his idea. Let's change the decor. Let's change the menu four times wow. to reflect where we are. But being a Northwest person, even before there was the word foodie, mm-hmm. I think he really understood that. I mean, way back in the days that he was being forging his own career. Um, so it's neat that when the James Beard Foundation comes back to the Northwest, we get to draw on that route uh, that, that he's a part of Taste America uh, as, as the naming right. And the foundation and what he said in emotion, the people who run the foundation now are so dynamic. There's new leadership in there. And where Claire Rickenbach and the whole group is taking the group, it's amazing. There's something that happens almost every single day, if not every day, in the James Beard Foundation from an outreach standpoint. So a lot of people know about the foundation from the red carpet and the star chefs and the things that they see on television. It is the highest honor in American culinary uh, culture to win a James Beard medal. But it's really expanded. It's so much more now. It's about outreach. It's about chef education and scholarshiping of chefs. The work that's being done in the sustainability area, it's standard setting, both land and sea, what's going on with, with, with sustainability programs. The chef boot camps that are taking place all around the United States now to educate people about policy and how the food goes from the farm or the water or wherever it might come and how it comes to you as as a consumer and everything in between. They're really focused on how that can be done in the most humane and the most efficient and the most understanding way. And that's what the foundation's all about now. The awards will always be there. It is the center spoke of people's understanding of, of what James Beard Foundation is all about. But Taste America is really on the cusp of going to some exciting new areas of, of education. And the chefs are the stars. The chefs of the stars. Well, you speak about those chefs. Both Maura and I had yeah. the great opportunity to go to this event last year because of Justin and Jennifer's involvement and them being on the board and just being a huge part of this event. Um, and we had some of the most delicious things ever. Yeah. We're still yes. a year later talking about them. So <laughs> this this year, what can we look forward to or what can people look forward to at this event? So one of the neat things about Taste America, especially Seattle, where this is the fourth time or fifth time that w- that we've done this event, um, you get a new deck of chefs. Yeah. So you've got these incredible chefs like Tom Douglas and Terry Rotro who have are, are kind of the first people. You know, people think about those chefs first a lot of times, and we we were excited that two new stars on the national horizon are in our lineup. Yeah. Um, our our local chef, who's our local star this year, is Eduardo Jordan. And for most people in Seattle, they know who he is. But I got to go to the James Beard Awards again this year and watch 
this is not dramatic. I'm telling you, this is what it was like. It was like watching a lightning bolt come through the ceiling two times wow. and strike this guy twice in 30 minutes. For him to win Best Chef Northwest, he's been nominated before for for Solar. It's right there in Ravenna, as you know. Mm-hmm. And then to also be nominated for Best New Restaurant United States. Wow. And to win that uh, with a whole nother restaurant that's only a block away on the same street, that'll never be done again, ever. I don't think that could happen twice. He's the first double winner for Seattle. He's the first on a lot of fronts. And for him to be our local all-star is just elevating this conversation so much more because of who he is and the, the type of food that they're serving down there. It also has taken his celebrity to another level. He's out of the market so much now because he's in such demand. So right before May... When the awards were, I talked to Tony Delino, who oversees all of our culinary stuff at our company. I said, man, you've got to get this guy signed before yeah. the awards because I have a feeling he's going to get at least one, if not two, awards. And to see it happen and to watch his entourage and his family and his support system, I mean, he had a whole group of people around him. I bet there were 20 people up on the stage when he won it. It's like something out of a book. And he's our local all-star. So. Yeah. Everything is kind of emanating around this energy of diversity and and uh, inclusiveness and, and really watching somebody come from nothing to something that is stratospheric. That's what that's exciting. And our, our national all-star, who is always in Taste America, we get one from out of the market. So we've had some great ones. Uh, we had Ashley Christensen come from the Carolinas last year. This year we have two. Um, it's Nicole and Stuart. That's what the, the chef world knows about them as, but their their names are Stuart Brioza and Nicole Krasinski, and they run two restaurants in the Bay Area. So one's called Progress, and the other one's called State Bird Provisions. They're both winners. Um, they were going to be our main course, and they're also going to be involved in the dessert course because Nicole is a rock star pastry chef as well. So to have um, Western chefs coming in and working with the Northwest uh, slate of chefs pretty cool. So we're going to get kind of a Bay Area influence into the Northwest. So those are our, our two leadoff uh, hitters. And then they're also going to be working with uh, the executive chef that is at the Fairmont Olympic, uh, Andrew Whiteside, who was in the kitchen with us last year. And to come back to the Fairmont uh, for a second time is a real honor for them and for us. Yeah, this is pretty incredible. I'm, my mouth's watering already hearing about this stuff. How We'd be remiss if we didn't ask, how is co- how are cocktails and uh, spirits involved in this great event? So the dinner obviously has a, a, a wine theme to it. So as the cocktails are a critical part, it is only growing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the understanding of wine, particularly in our region, is it's huge. Over a thousand wineries. Everybody has... So much pre- produced here. Pretty well spoken, yeah. too. Even an average wine drinker here, I think, knows more about wine than normal. Where, where Heritage is coming in, again, where Jennifer and Justin have been stalwart co-chairs, literally. I mean, they really push the, the education of this around the whole Puget Sound. They're doing both uh, two cocktails. One uh, is going to be in the cocktail hour, which has six different James Beard chefs. Uh, I'll go through the names briefly here in a second. One of their cocktails is part of that lineup. And then they're also, in our new thing, our fourth course of our dinner has always been a dessert brought to the table after the third course, we're all going to get back up and go back into the reception area for a three-station dessert Yum. with three different James Beard-recognized <laughs> James Beard chefs. So that's where Heritage will come into play again, and they'll have a dessert cocktail in that element. And they'll be partnering with a national partner from Woodford, Woodford Reserve who's making a special James Beard blend for the evening. And 
just very important. So we have a great balance of both beer and cider and great cocktails from Heritage and uh, the wine. It's just going to be a great balance. We really want to show off the bounty of what Seattle's all about. It's pretty wonderful. And uh, if people want to attend this event, are they out of luck already? Unfortunately, we are sold out. So they're on a waiting list. There'll be about 10 or 15 seats released. So if people mm-hmm. want to go, go to jbftasteamerica.org. You can find our Seattle site by surfing through there and get on the waiting list. But the Sur La Table thing on Saturday, October 20, is open to the public. It's free. People just register for seats. Mm-hmm. And we'll have two amazing cooking demonstrations live for over two hours uh, where they can watch our star chefs do their do their magic um, and I just want to go through the chefs that are a part of the tasting reception. Jay, Jay, Jay Blackington, Graham Cockburn, Philippe Hernandez, who's the winner from Union Gap for the tamale business that he runs. Wow. He's the America's Classic James Beard winner right now. Uh, Melissa Miranda, Shota Nakajima, and Matsuko Soma uh, are doing the cocktail party and the dessert reception with, with uh, Bethany Bartleben and artist uh, Calzones and Laura Piles. Just it's amazing. We have almost 13, I think 14 chefs, all James Beard recognized one night. All-stars. All oh it's gosh. a complete lineup of all-stars. So exciting. We love it. Well, yeah. Dick Stevens, you will always be one of our favorite <laughs> guests because you are the first, and we hopefully can uh, hear about many cool events to come. Well, I love being with you guys. You're talented, and uh, this all does is help us. So Cast Club Radio has been really important to us. Thank you. Thank you. One more time, website where people can check this out. jbftasteamerica.org. You can see the whole 10 City Tour, including Seattle, and it's really very, very well done website. You'll get a chance to see everything we're doing. Thank you so much. Okay, guys. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, as always, we've got a great cocktail for you to try this week. It might relate back to uh, the tailgating conversation we had earlier. That's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this afternoon. We've got a great cocktail recipe here for you in just a minute. But first, it's sort of the age-old question, discussion, debate. How much should you be tipping your bartenders? Bartenders and baristas. Bartenders and baristas. It's a, it's an important group to represent. This is, comes from an article from Greatest.com by Lauren Fusilier. And uh, attempts to look at, uh, from a couple of people who are in the industry, their point of view... Some rules for tipping, some tipping etiquette. So the first person they interviewed named Eric Britz. He's a sommelier from a restaurant called Casamano in New York. And he says, I see a tip as a sign that people I'm serving appreciate my service and respect uh, my expertise. That's important from a sommelier's perspective because oftentimes you're sitting at dinner and the sommelier will come around and walk you through the wine list. That's different than the bartenders. Oftentimes you never get to see them if you're at, at the table. You order from your waiter and then the drinks come to you. Uh, So you get a different kind of interaction and expertise. Meanwhile, Stephen uh, Presley from Abilene, Kansas, he's a bartender, and uh, he compares the interaction to a ballet. He says, from ordering the drinks to serving them to tipping, everybody makes their moves, everybody meaning all the staff at the establishment. If they make their moves and steps properly, it can be nice and a courteous exchange for everyone involved. So the common thread there is uh, in this article is that bartenders and baristas both, whether alcohol or not, they view tips as an exchange or sign of respect. That's right. Uh, Elizabeth Herzl, they quoted her. She's a barista in New York. She says uh, she thinks tipping should be based on time. If your drink requires shaking or if you're sitting at a table for three hours, 
if you're taking up the time that someone could be using to serve another customer, you should tip accordingly, which is, I think is, is true. Uh, mm-hmm. The longer you sit, uh, if you're not ordering food or drinks in a, at a commensurate amount of uh, interaction all along, then you're actually kind of costing the restaurant some money in terms of being able to, to t- turn that table. So that Something makes that I sense. think a lot of times people that haven't worked in the industry realize. But yeah, not only the restaurant, but also that server, if it's busy and you're taking up a table for three hours that they could probably have already had different sets of customers that they're not making tips off of that either. So you should tip accordingly. That's yeah. Right. That's and right. I think we mentioned time here. One of the things that struck me when we were talking about Eric Britz and being a small yay, also think of the time that they invested, whether it was their training or their education, particularly the amount of, it isn't a certain amount of expertise that you're paying for and, and advice. Especially if you are a level two or a level three small yay and you've gone yes, through that. It's, it's very arduous intense. training. Not yeah. everybody can get those certifications. So one of the folks here in the article, Elizabeth Herstel says, a dollar a drink is a good rule of thumb for espresso shots, uh, beer, and wine. Higher if someone is making you a full-on cocktail. Others, you know, we in the service industry, you look at the old standard, which was 15% as a baseline, 20% if it's really good. And here, they're talking about 15% doesn't really cut it today, especially when you look at restaurants that have gone to the flat pre-program service charge. They're doing 18 to 20% automatically. And so 15% yeah. almost seems kind of like a, a perfunctory minimum slap in the face in some people's <laughs> minds, right? And you you worked in the industry, Mara. Uh, how did you view this? Yeah, I mean, I realized sometimes you'll wait on some some older people or, or something, and you realize that maybe that was a generous tip back in the day and things have changed. You try not to take it personally, but it does hurt sometimes, especially if you have a big table, if you waited on, you know, 10 people and they have a huge check and someone pays that only tips 10 or 15%. That That's Ouch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially for the long, the That's long a lot of work too. hour, two hour big family meals, especially with little kids and stuff's dropped on the floor. And exactly. Uh, when I was, when I was a waiter in college, uh, that same issue happened. And, you know, I think in some cases the families are so hurried trying to get out of there because the kids are tired and nap time mm-hmm. that they just kind of like whatever and they forget just the basic level of decency. Another PSA along those lines, which I've had happen to me before with a big table that I put a lot of work on. If you take both credit card receipt copies by accident, then the server don't, I can't just make up a tip. No. So you may have, they may have actually left a tip and then accidentally taken both copies and that server doesn't get tipped. So if you ever get home and realize you have both copies, Maybe if you were if you were if you liked that server and you were planning on tipping them, try to talk to the restaurant and get that taken care Out of. Out of the kindness of your heart. So, yes. <laughs> question for both of you: Do yeah. you have the Starbucks app? I do. Yeah, yeah. And do you have the Starbucks app? I well, don't. No. Okay, so the Starbucks app is the preloaded. You preload twenty five or whatever on, and then when you are in line or with the mobile app, and you're going to order for pickup, all the transaction pays through the app, right? So if you're in line, you hold the phone and the scanner scans it, and boom, it takes the money. There's no opportunity to offer a tip. And in most cases, you're not reaching your pocket to pull coins or dollar bills out to put into the barista's tip jar. have cash on you, yeah. Yeah. I recently learned this because I was wondering about that having, I used to work at Starbucks and I think they added it in. They added in a feature now where you can click over and it'll ask you for a certain amount of time if you'd like to leave a tip. Mm. I only recently discovered it and I felt like a jerk that I didn't know about it. Mm. But oh, uh, no. they they've probably had some people mention that, whether it's the people carrying cash is kind of, I don't know, people yeah. don't seem to do it that much anymore. So I'm sure they've had a few people ask about that. But yeah. 
So. Yeah, you can now at least you can tip your barista from your gift card uh, using the app. Well, also. That's good. We're that's, just I'm learning things left and right. That. Yeah. They solved that. <laughs> the, by the way, the mobile app is awesome because uh, we will order ahead of time and there's a long line and uh, we'll send our kids in for us while we're in the car waiting <laughs> and they will go in and they'll get everything and bring it out. It's, Perfect. It's already a waiting. Clean transaction. Genius idea. That's right. So, good rule of thumb always 20%. And uh, I always say to when in doubt, just round up. You know, just throw in a little bit extra because it's usually not that much to you, but it could mean a whole lot to the person who's serving you. Especially if you plan to go back to that establishment later on. Yeah. And uh, that person is a regular employee. You will, and we've, we've interviewed people on the show where they talk about, look, if you are a regular and you are a, a good tipper, they will go out of their way to provide even mm-hmm. better, more excellent service and pay attention. Oh, yeah. I've. I've been in a situation where servers are kind of fighting to serve a regular. That yeah, they know. so wonderful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's nice to be wanted, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, earlier in the show, we talked about tailgating and getting out there for a party. The Seahawks are in town this weekend, and you guys have a cocktail recipe that's perfect. That's right. Whether you're tailgating at the game uh, legally off property, or you are home (laughs) watching on TV, or you just want to get ready for all the fall parties you may be having, this is a maple bourbon cider. This Mm -hmm. is that time of year. Fresh cider is coming out of the fields. Uh, This is designed for groups, so this uh, recipe will make servings for at least five people. Five cups of unsweetened apple cider. Again, go to the market, go to the local farmer's fair, get the amazing cider. Even the unfiltered cider is is outstanding, especially the fresh stuff. So five cups of that. Two cups of BSB, brown sugar bourbon. Of course, BSB makes everything better. Uh, (laughs) One-fourth cup of maple syrup and one-fourth cup of fresh-squeezed lemon juice. Pour it over ice, garnish it with a cinnamon stick. This is the kind of thing you can make in a pitcher. You can make it in hydro flasks. Uh, take it with you. Really, four easy ingredients. Apple cider, unsweetened, BSB, maple syrup, and lemon juice. I love a cocktail with fresh lemon juice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Sounds perfect. In the meantime, we'll wish the Seahawks luck as they uh, get in their home opener this weekend. And... As always, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. You can check out this episode, past episodes at heritagedistilling.com. Just click on the Cast Club Radio icon or also at CairoRadio.com. That's right. You can download the app and uh, also go to uh, Cast Club Radio on Facebook and uh, follow us. We'd ask you to do that also on Instagram. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Yeah, we really appreciate that. We love hearing from you guys and the feedback that you have. Or if you're making these cocktails, let us know what you think. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling, part of Cairo Weekends on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM.